So the longest chapter in the entire Bible. There are 176 verses in this psalm, Psalm 119. Now, there are 171 verses that directly mention God's Word. So only five verses that do not directly mention God's Word. But what those other five verses do, they support the Scriptures before or after them that do directly, excuse me, directly mention God's Word. <clears throat> excuse me. Now, there are more words, more verses, if you will, even in this psalm than there are in 30 other books of the Bible. So there are 30 books. Now, how many books of the Bible are there in whole? 60? 66, that's right. 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. But this psalm says more than 30 entire books of the Bible. So this is a very lengthy psalm. This is why I had to, I had to speak up when Chuck said just a few weeks we're going to be going through this sermon. That's not accurate. It's going to be a few months that we'll be going through. We'll finish up right after Easter, in fact. And then we're going to be going in another direction, which I'll announce to you very soon. Um, but Easter will we'll be focused on the resurrection of Christ, obviously. But the end of April, we'll finish up this psalm. Uh, I'm excited. In fact, uh, I'm more excited about this than I really thought I was going to be, Chuck. Um, I thought, okay, this is a psalm in the Old Testament. We're going to go through it. It's God's Word. It's great. But I have been stretched and challenged, and, and, and I believe uh, I've grown during my preparation for this uh, in, in a tremendous way. Now, not grown physically this way, obviously. I know y'all are all looking at me very strangely here. Maybe this way, but spiritually, this has been a good challenge. And so I want to encourage you. We never get to a place where we do not learn from God's Word. Amen? And so I have learned as well, and I hope that you and I will buckle down and we'll do the work of reading and rereading and even memorizing if the Lord would so lead us to do. Memorize. There are, there are some familiar passages in this psalm that once we get to them, you're going to go, I didn't remember that being in Psalm 119. A lot of verses perhaps you memorized as a child. Maybe in Miss Kim's Sunday school class, right? Some of those very verses we're going to find in this psalm. And so again, the longest chapter of the Bible, it's more wordy than 30 books of the Bible. And one other thing I want you to notice is that it is what's known as an acrostic psalm. An acrostic psalm. What that means is, and I know we've talked about this because throughout the past 10, 11 years, we have read through this psalm during our scripture reading Three or probably, I think three, maybe four different times over the last ten years. It's an important part of God's Word. All of His Word's important, but this has been a good section of Scripture for us as a body to read together. And so we've taken stanza by stanza week after week throughout the past ten or eleven years. Well, we're going to be doing that again over the next four months. Every Sunday, Chuck, or if we give Chuck a break, which Pete was supposed to today, and I know Chuck needs a little bit of break right now, but... Um, uh, we, we're going to have some our different men reading uh, these you know, 8 to 16 verses per Sunday. And that reminds me of something. We won't take just one stanza every single Sunday. Because you're, you're probably trying to add up the different Sundays of the months between now and April. We're going to have to take a couple of them together. So there are a few Sundays where we'll do 16 verses and not 8. And I know that sounds like a big challenge for me, right? I could preach on a word of a verse for several Sundays, but we're not going to do that. We're going to take it as God gives it to us, stanza by stanza, or perhaps two stanzas at a time, and we're going to make our way through this psalm. Now, this acrostic poem is really what it was. Every stanza, like the first eight verses here, all begin with the same letter in Hebrew as this was written. 
It wasn't written in English. It's been translated into English. But as this stanza was written, it, every single verse began with a letter, what we would call A, right? That's how we might transliterate it, but it's, it's Aleph, right? Aleph. Um, Aleph. Actually, it's Aleph. Excuse me, it's Aleph. I, I, I'm, I'm using my southern uh, language here, but it's Aleph. Verses 1 through 8, every single sentence begins, every verse begins with Aleph. The second stanza, verses 9 through 16, all begin with the letter Beth. Right? It's spelled Beth, but it's pronounced almost like a bet, but it's a little softer than that, Beth. And so the next one, it goes on from there. We'll talk about those letters as we make our way through. But today, just, just kind of file that away. Every one of these verses begins with Aleph. Every one begins that way. Now, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, a very familiar passage to us. He says that all Scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired means uh, it's uh, God-breathed, theonostos. It's God-breathed. It's the Word of God breathed out onto the page through the author. The Holy Spirit acting as the superintendent of His Word so that the author cannot make a mistake. So all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. It's good for us for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now the next verse, in verse 17, he tells us the ultimate goal of studying God's Word as believers. He says it's this, so that, so God gives us His Word, it's profitable for us, it's useful for us, right? Teaching, training, correction, all of those things. He says, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And I know every time I read this verse, I always go back to that word adequate because today in modern English, it means something different than, it would, than what it originally meant when this was written. Now, the word adequate here is the Greek word artios. We used to, our Christian Academy of Fine Arts, CAFA, it started as the organization known as artios. And it means thoroughly equipped. And that's where it comes from, from 2 Timothy 3.17. So all Scripture, the Bible, is given to us so that we can be artios, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what God's Word is for. And so Psalm 119, the entire psalm, all 176 verses, point to God's Word and tell us things that are true about God's Word and how it's then useful for us as God's Word. And so this is a tremendous opportunity for us. Now, let me just ask, how many of you of your own, not just listening as we are even reading from the screen perhaps over the last 10 years as we've read this, but how many of you have spent time studying Psalm 119 on your own ever in the past? There's a few here, and that's good, right? And I don't say that to shame anyone else, but I hope that by the time... Even by the time we're done today, that you'll be so encouraged and inspired, not by me, but by the words of God in this psalm, to dig into this, that for the next four months, this will be part of your time in God's Word. That these verses, week after week, will be a part of that. So, 22 stanzas, 8 verses each, a total of 176 verses. This has been called the golden alphabet of the Bible. The golden alphabet of the Bible. Again, every stanza beginning with the letter of a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so it's called the golden alphabet of the Bible. I don't know who coined that phrase, but I know Spurgeon. I know Martin Lloyd-Jones. There's been a few who have regurgitated that, if you will. They've repeated those words. And I think it's applicable. 
This is a tremendous passion, passage of Scripture, and it absolutely is the golden alphabet. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three things, only three key things in these first eight verses. So that sounds a little bit more attainable for us, right? If you're new here, um, it's always a challenge for me to finish when I'm supposed to. I like to keep going and going and going, kind of like the Energizer Bunny. But we're going to finish when we're supposed to today. We're only going to look at these eight verses together today. And there are three key things. And if you're not a note taker, I want to challenge you maybe today to use that journal that we passed out, right? To use that or to even use the note guide and then maybe go back and write it again in your journal later. But to begin taking notes if that's not something you've ever done today. And and here's why. And I'm a firsthand example of why this is important. I hear things and I remember some of them. I write down what I hear and I remember a whole lot more. And it's true for all of us. When we see it, hear it, right? You hear it preached, you read it on the page and you write it out. We are more likely to remember it. And it gets past our intellect and it gets down into our spirit, into our soul. And that's the point of God's Word, right? We don't just memorize God's Word or learn God's Word so that we can win arguments with people. Now, I know that's fun sometimes to do, but that's not the point of Scripture. It's to transform us and to make us more like Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what we're about. Chuck says it just about every week, right? Brandon picking songs like this morning, your word. We are a Bible church. People say, what kind of church are you? And my answer is always that. That's where I start. We're a Bible church. Oh, are you non-denominational? Why don't you define that for me before I say yes or no? Because that usually means something different than what we believe. Amen? And so we are a people of God's word. If God's word says it, we believe it. We may not understand it perfectly yet, but we're going to absolutely strive to do so. Amen? That's our goal, to be people of the book. And I know I've shared this, and, and our brother Usama Dakdok um, from Egypt, right, and now Missouri. I guess Egypt, Florida, now Missouri. Uh, or as they say there, what is it? Missouri, that's right. Uh, Usama always says that the Muslims in other places around the world accuse us of being people of the book. But they really don't know what they're saying because most Americans aren't people of the book, right? And the book being the Bible. But it should be true of us. Amen. We should be people of the book as Christians. Amen. And so that's the goal today. So let's look at verse one. And the first key for us today is purity. There are three keys. And the first one is purity. He's going to tell us three things for us, three keys, if you will, for us to have a blessed life. Now, the word blessed basically means happy, but not just happy, meaning ice cream makes me happy, which it does. It's a deeper happiness than that. It's blessedness. It's blessedness. It's richer than just our common vernacular of happiness. And so Psalm 119 verse 1 says, How blessed or happy are those whose way is blameless. Now, the word blameless here is a very rich word as well. This word means undefiled, a person of integrity. Now, how many of you would claim to be undefiled as a person? That's a hard call, isn't it? That's a hard challenge. But let me just say this. Let's make it worse. I'm supposed to be a person of integrity and so are you. That's the goal before us. Amen. And so how happy, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, undefiled, whose, whose way is the way of integrity. That's what he's saying. And he goes on, whose walk, or rather those who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, in what we would commonly refer to as the Beatitudes. We preached through that a few years back. Jesus said this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Now, obviously here, Jesus was most likely speaking Aramaic. There could be a case perhaps for Hebrew. We, we, won't, we, won't, we don't want to be dogmatic about that. But it's written out by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit into the Greek language. And this ideal of purity here in Greek is the same idea that the psalmist was getting at when he tells us how blessed are those whose way is blameless. To be pure, to be blameless. The intent's the same. We're people of integrity. Now, just know this. Do you, you remember that commercial? Um, and you kids probably don't remember this. And maybe even some of you young adults won't remember this either. But how many of you remember when E.F. Hutton speaks? There you go. People listen. All right. So my age group and maybe above, right? We remember that. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Now, when God speaks, people should listen. Amen? That doesn't mean they always do. But know this. God does not mumble when He speaks. He doesn't speak in such a way that you have to go, Huh? I don't get that. I didn't hear you. God speaks clearly and efficiently, effectively, proficiently. He says exactly what He intends to say, and He says it in such a way that He should not have to ever repeat Himself. He's that good of a God. He's able to do that. Now, I'm a little harder here. Chuck and I were comparing notes a little bit this morning. Uh, You know, talking about flu. I don't know how many of you just... It just seems like the last couple months, allergies, something has just... Uh, kept fluid on my ears and Chuck was talking about it and I know several others of you have been complaining about that so we're a little hard of hearing right now in fact Friday, Thursday night at Freedom That Last I had cotton in my ears um, my wife had put some medicine in there for me and it made it even more difficult for me to hear what people were saying or asking Thursday night I was hard of hearing right we are not hard of hearing physically when it comes to God speaking we are hard of hearing spiritually when it comes to God speaking. But the, I think the illustration still fits. God speaks and He says what He wants. He says what He means. And He says it in such a way that we're supposed to hear. And that's why the psalmist says, How blessed are those whose way is blameless. Those who walk in the law of the Lord. Now for them to walk in the law of the Lord, they have to know the law of the Lord. Now what we're going to see in this psalm is one of a number of different words, if you will, that the Bible uses, that this psalmist uses to describe God's Word. And so the first word that's used, and it's used 25 times in these 176 verses, he's going to use a reference to God's law, His law, the law of God. And that's used a few ways throughout Scripture. And as we make our way through this psalm, we'll talk about the various ways it's used. It can mean the law uh, that God gave to Moses, right? It could be in the New Testament you see the law of Christ, and some would conflate the two, but it's used differently than referring simply to the law of Moses. Sometimes the word law means all of the first five books of uh, the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Sometimes it's just called the law of God, generically speaking. But this word law speaks to God's word. It speaks to God's Word. Again, 25 times. It has this understanding, this nuance of teaching, of instruction. And thereby, it means we're listening and receiving the instruction. Amen? I mean, that's the goal. We send our kids to school or we homeschool our children today with the idea that we will educate them or they'll be educated or, no, and that they will learn. They will hear and learn. That's the goal. To be instructed and to receive the instruction. And that's the ideal of God's law here. So how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. 
The law reveals God's will for His people, how they're supposed to live. And we see that in the law that was given through Moses. It was a list of things that the the people of Israel were to do to be pleasing to God. Now, the rub for that is that no one was able to attain to that. We're going to come back to that in the months ahead as we look back at how we're supposed to be. We needed Christ to keep the law perfectly for us. Amen? But that doesn't let us off the hook by way of instruction and learning. We still must be people of the book. We still have to go to God's Word for instruction. So verse 2, the psalmist writes, How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all of their heart. This ideal of testimonies, this word, this descriptor of God's Word is used ten different times in this psalm. And the root meaning of testimony, you probably have this figured out, right? We talk about giving a testimony for the Lord. It basically means to bear witness. So I've got the instruction from God's Word, and now I've got the witness of God's Word. And so I'm supposed to take that in. Christian, you're supposed to take that in. God's people are to be people of the book. And so he says, how blessed are those who observe Right, his testimonies, who who bear witness to his testimonies, who seek him with all of their heart. It points to this idea points to the dependability of Scripture as a witness of the things of God. It also has there's a nuance, and we'll see that as we make our way through these stanzas. There's this this ideal of warning, right? I mean, think about a speed limit, right? That is a law or a suggestion. It's a law. I know a lot of people think it's a suggestion. We're not going to name any names here, but let me see if I can look at a few of you. Right? No, no. We think it's a suggestion, but it's a law. That limit is the speed that we are not supposed to go beyond. That's a law. It's not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. It's the law. And that's the idea here. It gives warning. And oftentimes you think about like if you're somewhere maybe in the hill country or, or even beyond like in Colorado or somewhere where the roads may get icy, right? And there's a lot of bends and curves going up and down the mountains. It can be dangerous. It's hazardous. And so when they give you a warning, let's say, uh, you know, they have the big curvy thing. And uh, uh, it always makes me laugh. Some of them are like really, like oh, just really curvy. And it says 10 miles an hour. Use handbrake or what? I mean, there's all these different things like for the trucks or maybe it's no handbrake. I don't, I don't remember what it says, but the ideal is a warning. If you decide to go 55, you're in trouble. Does that make sense? That's the ideal here. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who heed the warning that comes from Scripture, those who seek him with all of their heart. Look at verse 3. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. So how do they do no unrighteousness? Because they walk in His ways. Now let me ask you a question. Do you do no unrighteousness as a Christian today? That's our goal. But I think we would be hard-pressed to find any one of us here who have not sinned. And recently. Amen? But our goal is to do no unrighteousness. If I am about God's testimonies and God's law, God's Word... If I am feasting on God's Word and depending on God's Word and heeding the warnings of God's Word, will I be more likely to sin or less likely to sin? Less likely. We have to heed the Word of God. And so he says, they do no unrighteousness. Why? Because they walk in His ways. These two phrases, they go together. Those who walk in God's ways walk in righteousness. They walk in holiness. So when I'm sinning, guess what? I'm not walking in holiness or righteousness. 
I'm not walking in the way of God. Amen? Amen? And that goes for you too. That goes for all of us. So we're to be people of this book and to walk in His ways. And that's another word. That's the fourth word already right out of the gate in three verses here that describe God's word for us. His law, right? His testimonies. And now, His ways. Sorry, this third third idea here. His ways. It's used seven times in this psalm. His ways refer to His characteristic manner of acting. And the idea that we see as this psalmist uses it, it's really contrasting God's ways with the ways of everyone else. His are high and lofty, right? He's far above us. And so His ways are good. And so if we walk in His ways, verse 3 tells us, then we will do no unrighteousness. We'll do no unrighteousness. So that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to walk that way. Now, beloved, know this. If you and I want to be blessed and biblically happy, remember, happiness does not depend on your circumstances or happenings, right? Happiness is blessedness. This idea that we're going for here that the Bible speaks of comes from God. It's more than just our common American ideal of being happy. Again, ice cream makes me happy. It doesn't make me holy. (laughs) It doesn't. It doesn't. It makes me heavy, (laughs) but it doesn't make me holy. It doesn't. So we're looking for holiness. And so blessedness is linked to obedience. And we have to get that through our thick hearts. We hear it. I think our skulls have it. I think it's gotten through our head a lot of times, but it needs to get to our hearts. I have to walk in holiness. And sometimes it's painful. And and I'll just say like I did the other day, little buddy, sometimes it makes me scream just like that. Ah, It does. Sometimes it hurts us. And you know what? Thank God for that pain. Amen. When we do wrong, I hope we hurt. I hope we hurt so that we will be quick to repent and to get back on the straight and narrow. Amen. That's the goal. So blessedness is linked to our obedience. And so since our, in, uh, our obedience is imperfect, we might say, our happiness, our blessedness is also imperfect right now. But as we grow in godly obedience, the ideal here from this psalm is that we will grow in personal blessedness or happiness. My happiness does not depend upon my circumstances. It doesn't. It depends upon my walk with God. And folks, we, we who are, know God are blessed beyond our health status. We're blessed beyond our Facebook status, right? Those of you, I mean, and, and I'm not trying to make light of your painfulness, but those perhaps who went from relationship to single again. Blessedness is bigger than that, amen? It is. It just is. You know that to be true. That's why some of you are smiling right now. You know that to be true. Our walk with God determines those things. So how's your walk today? How's my walk today? How's our walk? Are we truly happy and blessed by God? If not, the prescription is very simple. Get into God's Word. Amen? Get into God's Word. You want to be happy? Get into God's Word. Psalm 119 verse 4. The psalmist says, You, Lord, have ordained your precepts. Here's the other word here. Used 21 times in this psalm, precepts. We see this throughout the Scripture. Precepts. It comes from the word meaning to oversee or pay close attention to a matter. Thus it points to a particular instruction from the Lord. Particular uh, points of instruct from God through His Word. And the ideal is that it comes from one who cares about the details of our life. So what's right, what's wrong? Again, the speed limit, not a suggestion. It's there for a reason because to exceed it is dangerous. 
That's the ideal. And so the precepts of God. He says, you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. To keep them diligently. That we should keep them diligently. You know what that means? That you and I have a part to play. God gives the law. He gives the precept. He ordains the word, right? He gives the testimony. He bears witness. And then it's our responsibility to keep it. To obey it. And this is where it messes up. This is why a lot of times people look at us as Christians and they think, I don't know that they really believe in God. Because what we profess with our mouth doesn't look like what we are living. Does that make sense? That hurts, Pastor Kevin. It hurts me too. Because it's true of me sometimes too, sadly. But our goal is to honor God by keeping His Word. Amen? His precepts. He's teaching us about right and about wrong. Someone asked me recently, how do I know when I'm sinning? If you're a Christian, you know when you're sinning. Well, how do I know? Well, if you're asking me that question, you may not be a Christian. Because as Christians, God's Holy Spirit indwells us. Amen? And when we hurt the heart of God by breaking the the law of God, the Word of God, when we sin, God's Holy Spirit in us convicts us of our wrongdoing. Amen? Amen? So I can't describe it to a non-Christian. They can't fathom that because God's not in them. But Christian, we know when we do wrong. I think people that ask that question, now hear me, and I'm not trying to be ugly to the person that asks in case you're watching or listening. But when we ask that question, I think we're trying to make an excuse for the sin. How much can I sin before I get in trouble with God? And probably more of us have been guilty of that than we care to admit. Amen? Right? I haven't done this, but I've been doing this just right over here beside it. Folks, that comes from a bad place of our heart. It comes from a, a dark heart. And we need to confess that and give it to the Lord. Amen? Isaiah 28, verse 10. If you want to jot this down. For he says, order on order, order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there. I think the King James, maybe the New King James says, precept upon precept here. And that's the idea. Again, someone recently asked, what is about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And this is someone who professes to be a brand new Christian. And so the counsel then is, hey, slow down. You're not going to know all of God's word right now. You're not going to be able to identify every doctrinal issue right now. But line by line, precept upon precept. Amen. I don't know everything I need to know yet. None of us do. But thank God we're still learning. Amen. Line by line, precept upon precept. Amen? So, are we learning? Are we still growing? Or do we think that we know everything? How many of you here think you know everything you need to know? Raise your hand. I was really worried that somebody might raise their hand. I didn't want to have to embarrass you any more than that. All right. None of us have arrived yet, right? We are all learning and growing. And the sooner we learn that, the better off we'll be. And I think the quicker we'll get to the finish line. I do. Learning. All of us learning. Line by line. Order on order. Precept upon precept. Line by line. We learn God's precepts just like we learn anything else. A little here and a little there. Now some of us are hard-headed. Raise my hand here. All right. Thanks, PJ. All right, Mark. You are so honest. All right. There's a few of you that aren't being honest yet. Let me give you a second to... No, no. I'm just kidding. But Okay. Thanks, Brock. All right. Brock, raise both hands. Now, we're probably all a little hard-headed in some ways, right? 
But we have to keep going. How many of you have sinned in the last 48 hours? Yeah, right? Aren't you grateful for the grace of God that leads us to repentance? Amen? And so how many of you repented then for that? Okay, whew. it's funny. More of you raised your hand that time than you did about sinning. Uh, we're going to have to talk afterwards. I'm going to make a note here of who, who that was. I'm just kidding again. But we, we are graced with God's Spirit that convicts us and brings us to repentance. And thank God for that. Amen? So we learn a lesson. And next time, hopefully, we won't commit the same sin. Right? We won't do the same thing. We learn a little bit here and there. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit more. So the first key to happiness is a life of purity. And it comes from learning and living according to God's Word. The next thing, let's look at this next verse here. Verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Verse 6. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. He moved from now describing God's Word in those first four verses. And he talks about that ideal of purity. Now he moves into what we're going to call prayer. Now he is asking Oh God, that my ways may be established. He's not talking to the wind. He's not talking to his neighbor. He's talking to the only one who can truly help him, and that is the Lord. Amen? That my ways. That's prayer. The psalmist moves from preaching about the Word of God to praying to the God of the Word. And we have to do both, beloved, if we're going to grow and be holy. If we're going to be like Jesus, we pray to the God of the Word and we Read the Word of God and preach and proclaim the Word of God. So the psalmist, in those first four verses, he's just said that the Word of God is to be kept diligently. It's to be completely obeyed. Now he's praying for the strength to do so because he realizes, I believe, and I think this is Daniel who wrote this. That's just me. I'll give you some reasons why as we make our way through this psalm. I know I hinted at that before. And maybe a couple of us. I know Corey and I have talked about this in depth and maybe a few others. I can't remember if Brock and I did or not, but... But I think it was Daniel, and I think he wrote it during captivity. And I think there's some really good evidence of that. But again, it doesn't matter. The psalmist, whoever it was that wrote this, moves to prayer because he knows he can't do this on his own. We have to have help from above. Christians, we know that we fall short of God's glorious standard. Amen? I mean, many of us just admitted that a few moments ago. We raised our hand. We sinned in the last two days. That's fallen short of God's standard. His standard is what? Perfection. His standard's perfection. And we fall short of that. So we pray. We pray. Proverbs 15, 29 says that Yahweh is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. He's far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. Those who belong to Him. He hears our prayer. So beloved, do you pray to God? Could we pray more? Yeah, I can. I don't know about you, but... Years of self-reliance, it takes a toll on us spiritually because we often act apart from God before we depend upon God. And I, I've been guilty of that in my life. I, I confess. Um, a lot of things came naturally to me before I was saved and, and it just made me depend on me a lot. And um, that's bad as a Christian. Amen? That's dangerous as a Christian. There's that squiggly warning sign. I'm in Colorado again, right? I'm up in the mountains and that squiggly road sign. Warning, danger, that's dangerous. I have to depend upon God if I'm going to make it through this world. And all Christians do, amen? So we know we fall short, but we grow in holiness. And again, even with every mistake, God uses to bring us closer to God. Is it an excuse to sin? Romans chapter 6, verse 1. 
May it never be, verse 2. There you go. No. But God doesn't waste those moments. He sanctifies us even more. And so the Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteousness. The psalmist prays, like, this is what's true of your word. Now, God, I need help in your word. And that brings us to this third area. And it's the area of praise. It's the area of praise. My friends, let me confess something to you here this morning. And I'd appreciate if you don't blast this all over social media. But math is not my strong suit. You thought I was going to share something real sappy, right? Math has never been my strong point. But geometry, I made straight A's in geometry. Algebra, oh, horror, horror. I mean, talk about cursing God and just everything, you know, cursing the gods of mathematics. I mean, I don't, I'm just trying to be dramatic here, but, but algebra was not my thing. But as soon as I got into geometry, I had Miss Gans for geometry in high school and it clicked and seeing the shape, seeing the outlines, there was a visual representation of those Crazy algebraic uh, formulas and whatnot. I know some of you are smart and you like algebra and those things. I pray for you. I do. I pray for you. And uh, I'm going to pray for you again. Give me a moment right now. Amen. All right. But geometry was something that I could see and wrap my head around. One thing I learned was that the shortest distance between two points was a, hey, look, you all took geometry too, right? Like, no, we watch Blue's Clues and we learned that on Blue's Clues or Sesame Street, right? Maybe Sesame Street. Or, what? What did you say? How dare you? No, I'm just picking Bailey. Bailey loves Barney, and so she's been giving me a hard time for the last week since I mentioned that. But, or maybe you learned it even on that purple dinosaur show, right? That who, who will remain unnamed, unnamed from henceforth going forward. Or, or we will um, have to meet the elders about discommunication, uh, uh, excommunication from membership. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That's not a reason to do that. But maybe you learned it on Barney. Wherever you learned it, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Folks, in the same way, do you know that we discover in God's Word that the straightest, rather the, the shortest distance between our, our problems and our ability to praise God is praying to God? I think that's why the psalmist right there in verse 5 and 6 has this idea of turning to God now before he begins to praise in verse 7. Look at verse 7. After saying what he says about prayer, not being ashamed to talk to God, I'm going to look and listen and wait for your commands. Verse 7, he says, I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. So he's going to hear about God's judgment. He's going to read about it. He's learning about it. And now he's going to move from God, I need your help, to God, I praise you for those very things. God, it says it in your word. I'm praying that I will attain to your word. And now I thank you, God, that it is attainable. That's kind of the ideal. Does that make sense? I know being Christian is hard. And whoever said, um, you know, when you come to Jesus, all your problems go away, they're either ignorant or they're a liar. I don't know of another option, right? Because that's not true. In fact, a lot of things get harder, more difficult when we come to Christ. But there's ever a reason to praise God. And He's never far from us, is He? He's near the brokenhearted, the contrite in spirit, the Bible tells us. And so, again, that straight line, that short distance, right? Between problem and praise is prayer. So, I shall give thanks to you, O God, with uprightness of heart. Am I saying I'm perfect when I, when I, when I quote the Scripture? Absolutely not. But that's the goal. That's my desire. That's the desire of my heart. Is it yours? I think for so many of us, especially in the American church, 
Not here so much. We're blessed. This is a, this is a mature body. Thank God. Praise God for that. Amen. Because he did it. He did it. We, we can't say, you know, I did that. None of us can say that. God is blessing us with mature growth here. Not just numerical, but more importantly, spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. But so much of the Americanized church is fluff. It's fluff. It's easy believism. It's I want God on Sundays and maybe Wednesday. But Sunday morning, I'm going to give that to God. But the rest of the week, I live for myself. How much can I earn? Who can I impress? What can I do? What's happening on social media? How much can I post? Right? All these things. When our whole life is to be lived for God. Uprightness of heart. I'm seeking God. I'm longing for God. Like, like the psalmist says in Psalm 103 verse 2. I'm going to bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. This is what we do. And I mentioned this the other night. This is preaching to ourselves. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I'm not telling PJ, bless the Lord, O PJ soul. No, I'm starting with me. Bless the Lord, Kevin's soul. Hey, big dummy. Talking to myself. Bless God. He's good and worthy of praise. Amen. And so I'm preaching to myself. That's Dr. Ernie Baker, biblical counseling, First Baptist Jacksonville, Florida. Kind of coined that phrase. Preach to yourself. Read Psalm 42. Read Psalm 43. Look how the psalmist speaks to his soul. Soul, why are you downcast? Why are you sad? Hope in God. Tell yourself that. I think sometimes we're so depressed as Christians today because we fail to do that. We've bought into this, again, this Americanized ideal of Christianity that when I come to Jesus, everything's okay. We just kind of wait on God to do everything for us. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Amen? He's done the hard part, but He asks us to come alongside Him and be sanctified. It means we invest. And so we praise God. Psalm 103 verse 8. Yahweh, says, is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Always just kind of tear up when I read this. This is, again, Psalm 103. There's a, a group, um, uh, I don't know where they are theologically now, but Shane and Shane had a tremendous song called Psalm 103. I don't know if we've ever done it here, but we do some words, another version that comes from that psalm. But that psalm just moves me. I, I, I mention this every time. We, we played it at my, my father's funeral, and it just still just moves me. It just, it, it, it gets into my spirit. Lord, you are compassionate and gracious. And we say that in the face of death, in the face of suffering, because it's still true. Amen? Do we know that today? And where do we learn it? We learn it in God's Word. He's slow to anger. Oh, God is good. Amen? God is so good. Psalm 119, again, verse 7. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Uprightness of heart. And if we were honest here today, we would realize that, that our hearts probably fall short more than they don't. There's probably more times during the day when we're falling short of God's glorious ideal for us. Sin gets into our heart. I get angry. I lash out. Whatever it might be, right? That those things are probably more true of us than we want to admit. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. The prophet Micah says... He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord, what does Yahweh require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? You know, our students uh, here in April, is that right? They're going to be doing a Disciple Now weekend. I think this is the theme verse, if memory serves, isn't it? Am I wrong? I think this is the theme. 
What does the Lord require of you? It's not that we do these things so that He accepts us. God accepts us by grace through faith. And we're now enabled to do these things. But shame on us if we don't. Amen? Shame on us if we don't walk this way. Do justly. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. How many of you would agree with me and say, you know what? Even those three things, I'm not always doing justly. I'm not always loving kindness. And you know what? If I'm honest, I don't always walk humbly with my God. Is that true of you today too? May we confess that even now, amen? Even now that we would be blessed by the learning of this psalm, Psalm 119. Well, verse 8, finally, he says this. I shall keep your statutes. That's another word for law. I shall keep your statutes. And then I love this. Do not forsake me utterly. Do not forsake me utterly. He prays. And again, remember, I can't keep God's law perfectly. I can't keep His word perfectly. You can't keep God's word perfectly. So the psalmist gives us an out here. He helps us, doesn't he, Chris? He says, God, don't forsake me utterly. What's the ideal here? What's the teaching behind it? I need God to be holy. Amen? I need God to live rightly, to to walk humbly, to do justly, to love kindness. I need God to make that true of me. And that's why he prays. Do not forsake me utterly. It's the same thing Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5. When Jesus said this, he said, I am the vine and you are the, do you remember? You're the branches. He who abides in me, what does it mean to abide? Simply stated, it means to take up residence, to fall into. It's like when you get home after a long day of work and you fall into your recliner or your sofa, right? That's the idea. And you don't have any intent of getting up until you have to, right? That's the ideal of abiding. You're taking up residence. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can only do a little bit. Caden, is that what it says? No. It says, from apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Folks, we need the power of God in us. Amen? And so, would you bow your heads with me for a moment? As we introduce this psalm today, as we get out of the gate... And I think running here, in fact, would you say with me today that you have room to grow in holiness? Would you say amen if that's true of you? Amen. Would you say that there are more times than you care to admit today where you are not walking in holiness according to God's word and you are being selfishly motivated? Would you say amen if that's true of you? Amen. Now, would you confess those things to God? And like the psalmist, would you say, do not forsake me utterly, O God? God, you have saved me. You have caused me to be born again, born from on high, as Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You've indwelt me, as Paul says to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Your spirit seals me unto that final day in glory, Lord God. So I'm secure, but now empower me, Lord God. Don't forsake me. Give me of yourself that I may be empowered to walk righteously. So, Father, thank you for this word. I thank you, O God, that you do enable us to walk in this way. Help us to be pure. Help us to pray to you, Lord God, and then to give you all the praise and glory we pray in Christ Jesus' holy name. Amen.